0: Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.
1: Bradfo Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradfo Show that's delicious. Subscribe, review, rate, do all of it. Brad Show. thank you for listening. Thank you for all the people who have already subscribed and reviewed. Thank you for Lord Hobo for helping sponsor this fine podcast. Thank you to everybody. And we're going to keep it going throughout the Red Sox offseason. And today is a perfect example that day one of the GM meetings in Arizona. We're in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm about to go climb Camelback Mountain for the first time in three years uh, before we stayed around a hotel lobby for a little bit. Before we get to our special guest, when every time we're in Arizona, we talk to this special guest. Um, I do want to go through a little bit of what I wrote about for the Monday baseball column. First of all, you start with how bizarre this off season is going to be for the Red Sox. Absolutely bizarre. If John Henry does not say those words about saying, we want to get to under $208 million, I'm paraphrasing, of course, then we have no idea what is going on with the Red Sox off-season. Because that is the first time I can ever remember the Red Sox actually acknowledging a definitive level that they want to get to. When it comes to the luxury tax. But we do know that. He did say that. So that means what this offseason is going to um, give us. Is not a lot of free agents. We can't go to the lobby. And we can't find the agents. And we can't find these free agents. uh, That might fit certain spots on this team. Because there is no money. This is going to be all about trades. As I wrote. This is going to be a bizarre offseason. One we haven't seen in a long, long time. When it comes to the Red Sox. Because you go back even 2013, remember, 2013, they went out and signed a, a bunch of short-term deals. They had the money from the big Dodgers trade the, the year before. But don't forget, they went to lunch with Josh Hamilton. It wasn't like we weren't surfacing names, big names, from the free agent market. But this time, you just can't do it. You can't possibly do that unless... They automatically get rid of a ton of money and then turn it over into free agent money, which I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. But anyway, so that's going uh, to be a thing to watch, I guess, a bizarre element of this offseason. Also, in the Monday baseball column, and just for everyone's, um, I know everyone couldn't sleep at night knowing that there wasn't a Sunday, the Sunday baseball column. Uh, we just pushed it back for Monday for a couple of reasons. The Patriots weren't playing baseball uh, GM meetings, and also I just felt like it. So uh, you also had some high and bloom stuff from the last podcast talking about how not everything is going to automatically transfer from the Rays in terms of the way they did things. I thought that was pretty interesting. Another thing was I looked up a 538 article from a year ago, and the premise of the article was that, that no team throughout, through 2018, no team since 2003 had won the World Series with a payroll devoting at 20% or more to one player since 2003. Now, that went off the board this year with the Nationals because Max Scherzer was 22%, but it made me look at all of the teams and all of their top players. And of course, what this does, it, it leads to the Mookie Betts conversation. Do you pay that much money to one guy? And really, you come away from it, it, it's, you can, you can, but you just better hit on those guys. Now, there are some teams, I think there were four teams that had two or more guys are making over 20%. Two or more guys are making over twenty percent 20% of their team's payroll. Unfortunately for the narrative that you're saying that you can do it that way, Detroit and Kansas City were two of them, and I believe Milwaukee was another. So you know, in the Angels being the other, so three of the four were were pretty bad teams. And obviously, you had Cabrera and Zimmerman with Detroit. You had Trout and Pujols with the Angels, and. Like I said, the Braves, the braves I think, were the only one of that group that actually made the playoffs. So go take a look at it. Uh, you, it's one of the biggest takeaways also. Oh, my God, Wee and Chin. What a terrible contract the Marlins gave him. Like, that had gone under the radar. No one in Boston had really cared about it. But holy mackerel. And right now, as we sit here, he's making up 60% of the Marlins' payroll. Anyway, some things to think about, uh, some other things thrown in the column. Our good friends, Wayne, our good friend, Wayne Partello, the chief marketing officer of the Padres, who also used to work with, uh, with me at wei.com. They switched the uniforms. Padres, Padres are going to be the first team or the only team in baseball that doesn't wear gray on the road, brown uniforms. And so I had to get to the bottom. Were the Red Sox going to change anything about their uniforms? Evidently not. We're here to serve and find out that information. So go check out that story. But in the meantime, I want to give you the most important person in Arizona being in Arizona. And whenever anyone is there in Arizona, they should want to talk to this guy. And that is our old friend of the show, friend of the Bradfoe Show, on the cusp of becoming the third inductee into the Bradfoe Show Hall of Fame. And that's Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lovello. Torrey was great on this podcast. He's great every time. He went on, in case people don't know, we talked a little bit about this. He was a guy who was on the radio with us a lot. We didn't pay him. He just went on the radio. And one of the great things about it is that he went on the radio because I think that he wanted to learn about that process, about that dynamic. Because when you become a manager, that's part of the equation. And he was great. He got better at it. He asked a ton of questions. We talked a little bit about that because he is one of the best listeners I've ever been around. He talks about, and what the brunt of what I wanted to talk to him about, because I didn't talked to him in a while, was you know, since he was the interim manager of the Red Sox, since he got hired by the Diamondbacks, how has this weird world of baseball changed? How has managing a baseball team changed? Because it absolutely has the analytics, the front office dynamic, all of it, and Tori gets into that a lot, along with a pretty good Mookie bet story. So uh, I feel it's a good way to kick off the GM meetings, because uh, once again we're in Arizona, and when you're in Arizona, you talk to Tori Lovello. What an honor this is! What an absolute honor! Tuesdays with Tori has now become—I uh, don't know what we call this—but it, it feels like it just feels like, a ride, like riding a bike, doesn't it, Tori? Just jumping on <laughs> with me, jumping, just talking some
2: ball. Uh, I love it. You know, listen, uh, you, you took a chance on sitting me down and and having a conversation with me and it turned into something that was pretty good. So yeah, Tuesdays with Tori, something I'll never forget. Um, get to sit down with you obviously and talk ball. There's nothing better.
1: Can I just tell you, so I'm coaching, um, I'm coaching high school basketball this year and, and, uh, and one of the examples I talk about with the administration and with, uh, nobody cares about this, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, with the administration and even with the kids, is the ability to listen, I think, is such an underrated thing. And, Tori, not just because you have agreed to come back on the podcast, but because this is a reality that you are amongst the best listeners that I've ever come across and I use you as an example like these three people are in a room interviewing me for this coaching job and I'm throwing out the name Tori Lovello did this and Tori Lovello did that but I mean it and and the reason I I say this is because when you came on the radio more than probably anybody else we had you want to know exactly how that worked so congratulations on being one of the best listeners I've been around
2: (laughs) Uh, listen I appreciate that and I know that you've come in contact with a lot of people uh, within the industry. And I feel like, uh, communication is a two way street, obviously being able to, to speak what's on your mind, but to be an active listener is a very, very important part of communication. I think you, you gather information with the people that you're around and you're talking to. It just helps you understand what they're, what they're doing and dealing with, uh, how they're going forward, how they're stumbling potentially, um, and empathize. It's just, the, it's just the reality of, of really what, what, um, Helps you get to know somebody on a deeper level. Once you can do that, I think you can do some special things and build some trust.
1: What What did you learn about radio? Listening to to me tell you. How to be uh, an expert on t- Tuesdays with Tori? Like when you walk in there, you know, what did what did come? Now you look back at that experience and having been on radio in front of mics all the time now, mm-hmm. but what what did you learn about it from from that time? This is where you you build us up and say you know we're the, we're the springboard to your your uh, path toward excelling with the media.
2: Well, you kept telling me that this was gonna it was my start in the uh, in, in this whole arena of. Uh, potentially becoming a manager and understanding what it's going to be like to be in front of the cameras and in front of microphones. So yeah, I think it gave me the preparation to understand that, um, there, there's, you know, a, a certain discussion that you got to be prepared to have, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable. I know that you'd ask me some very difficult questions and I just answered them as honestly as I possibly could. And you know, sometimes I, I couldn't give you, couldn't go beyond the boundaries and I learned how to stay within those boundaries because sometimes you, you can't say everything you need to say. Uh, But I wanted to be as honest as I possibly could. And I just had a certain comfort level after, you know, the the three or four years that we were together doing it, at a certain comfort level, being able to sit down and talk to the media. And that's something that that takes some training. It's not easy to do.
1: All right. Well, it's all going to pay off right now because I'm going to ask you some very difficult questions. And by difficult (laughs) questions, I mean they're not going to be actually that difficult. But I – i've been meaning to talk to you because i've been thinking a lot about sort of the, how baseball has evolved and and the slog that baseball had become and the differences this year I think two thousand and nineteen was maybe different than any year that i've seen in terms of i guess you would have to call it the evolution of of baseball but I'm just curious from your perspective when you look when you look back when you were a bench coach and maybe even your first year at manager. How much has has
2: managing in baseball changed? Well, I think um, there's a lot more information that's 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 given to the manager, given to the, the coaches uh, that you're able to digest. I think there's a, a strong bond between the front office, uh, or maybe the president of baseball operations or the general manager, uh, and and the people that are working underneath them. They come they come down and, and they're very active and in inquiring about baseball decisions and you know that, that just speaks volumes about uh, first of all the intensity of what each organization is doing but also speaks volumes about how um, how educated some of these younger um, uh, potential GMs and GMs are inside of the game of baseball they know the game they're not just up there pushing uh, you know pushing contracts around and talking to uh, talking to agents yes I'm sure that that is part of it. But they're very engaged at the dugout level. And it's, it's you know, within our organization in, in particular, it, it's challenging because it keeps me on my toes. It forces me to be at my absolute best. And, you know, for me, Mike Hazen is one of the best in the game. And we have some great baseball conversations uh, that typically you may not have with, with uh, the older generation type of general manager
1: so give me an example like so you we talk about when you talk about the gms being part of the game being immersed in the game um everyone jumps immediately to the analytics and and the analytics of of implementing the analytics one of the challenges that that, uh, i was talking to zach scott of the red sox and he admitted he said you know we were behind so we had to catch up And a big part of catching up was being able to see the information that we had transfer to actual playing on the field. Um, Has that, for your perspective, because you kind of got to be the go-between for that, has that been a challenge for you guys?
2: Uh, A little bit. Um, You know, coming from Boston... um and 16 was my last year there uh it was it was the, a developing department it wasn't an area of, of uh, strength or a lot of usage uh, but we knew that if we could get some information that would be helpful with the projections uh um, as to what a moment could turn out to be. We were going to certainly use that, but uh, over the past four years since I've come to Arizona, our department here is extremely strong and it's it's a, it's a very trustworthy department. And the reason why I say that is, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it, it, 95% of the time, it it's aligned with what my eyes and my instincts are telling me. It's that 10 to 15% window that's a little bit of a gray area that they can help you understand what's going on and it's it's emotionless and it's not gonna it's sometimes that's what a manager does he makes an emotional decision this helps you become emotionless uh which is nice i i I need that every once in a while i think all managers do but it also lines up and gives you some thoughts that you would never ever think about so getting that information down to me i i love it i've digested it uh, I put it into my own word processor and I developed my own game plan. Uh, so it's it's like a glass of iced tea, right? You're going to grab a little bit of lemon, a little bit of sugar, <laughs> and a little bit of honey to make it the perfect glass of iced tea. And that's what I'm always searching for.
1: Okay, so what if they're saying you're not adding enough lemon and you want to add more honey?
2: <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, uh, that, And that's a great question because that's typically what some of our best discussions are centered around. Um, and sometimes they want to see things a little bit differently and and uh, you know i I have to pick and choose what my battles are but the the beauty of what the front office here at arizona does is that they understand how hard this game is from a mental approach and or the mental side of things and i give them the feeling of a baseball player and and the and the strengths or potentially the weaknesses from a mental standpoint that they wouldn't even grasp so i'm very thankful that our front office just doesn't see it played on a computer, uh, and and, and I'm, I don't think a lot of organizations do it that way. They get the human element added in, and that's part of what I sprinkle in as much as I possibly can. And we come to some good decisions. We really do. And trust me, we don't always have easy discussions. You know, Mike Hayes and I, we'll bang, we'll bang away at a lot of really, really good uh, depth conversations. And when we come out of that office, we may not absolutely agree, but when that door opens and we walk out and there's a baseball decision that's been made, we we – we stay united and we keep pressing forward.
1: Okay, so the other part about that is the are the players. The players, you know, we've had. I've talked to plenty of players, particularly pitchers. They say, you know, I, you know, I'm giving getting all this information. It doesn't really translate to either my stuff or or that shouldn't have been the case. That hit shouldn't have actually happened if they weren't shifting as much as they did do you what's your sense in terms of where the players are out and and maybe it's i that 's an unfair question because you know twenty five guys from twenty five different upbringings from twenty five different personalities, not everybody the same, but you know that's another challenge that you probably have as well
2: well yeah, I think you're hitting a lot of key points um, you know right on the head you can't treat everybody the same, put them in the same box, and I, you have to understand who you're talking to and what motivates them and and what frustrates them. Um, so that's that's part of my job. And that's what the pitching coach will do, and that's what everybody's doing on a daily basis: is getting out and you know and, and hit hitting the streets with these guys to try and to try and get in and understand what makes them tick. So the more information we know, the better decision we can make. But I think a very valid question is: how do you not just splatter all the information on these guys and and let them figure out what to do? No, no, no. We don't do it that way. The coaches get the information. We're the ones that are educated on all these analytics. Some of the players are too, and if they are, they can dig into it as deep as they want. We, We take about 10 pieces of paper and put it on one half of a piece of paper. That's an example. And we give the information to the guys so they understand it. And we start to speak their language, and we get to know information as much as we possibly can, as good as we possibly can, so we can deliver it the best way possible. So when the player goes out there, he's got an empty mind. It's all about execution. The game plan is as simple as it could possibly be. But it's very helpful and useful. We run we run a lot through our catchers. I'm not going to lie. We we put a lot on them, and um, we ask we ask them to be you know uh, considerate of the game planning. But we're always able to make some adjustments. And when you make some adjustments, you got to have a good reason. And then that's just the human element that's coming back into it.
1: So how about actually managing the game? You talk about putting a lot on the catcher, um, mm-hmm. and just you looking back to when you first, I, I guess maybe managed with Red Sox when John Farrell was. Was uh-huh. um, was sick, but you, how much it's changed the feel of it for a manager? Uh-huh. How much it cha- has changed over the last few years?
2: Well, I think the feel is always there. You want to have that feel and your gut instinct. And you want to just you know that, that those are the, the expert eyes that are sitting in the dugout and and uh, we we have a good feel for what every situation is. But if you look back at some really really good teams, um, and we can go back to. The, uh, Jason Veritek he was computing this on his own in his own instinctual way and you know he was a fixture behind the plate then you fast forward to the to the 13 championship we had Gerald Salta Loki and David Ross same thing they were doing this on their own because of their experience because of the information that they were sharing and gathering and getting on a daily basis they were computing Every single situation in their head. Now what they're given is a little bit of a cheat sheet. I'm given a cheat sheet. Everybody's given a cheat sheet to have the simplest road to have the best success. So I want to utilize every cheat sheet that I possibly can. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and take any shortcuts. So that's really what it's centered around. I, I love catchers. I have I, I develop a strong bond with catchers, I run the game through the catchers, I put a lot on the catchers. And if they can't handle that, then we need to find the next guy. But he here in Arizona, we've had some really, really, really strong candidates that have helped us win a lot of baseball games.
1: So uh, you mentioned David Ross. What advice would you give David Ross? Advice that maybe you didn't get when, or didn't really have in, in your holster when you became a full-time manager? Um, mm-hmm. But if he said, hey, hey, you know, Tory, and maybe he will say that at the winter meetings. I don't know. What what, yeah. what advice would you give me?
2: Yeah, I would just say uh, just to trust your instincts, but to also learn and continue growing with the game and understand that. The analytical part of it is a very, very helpful tool, and the more people that you can bring in uh, to help you make a good decision, the better. And and really, that's what it's all about. And I know David Ross uh, will try to be the best manager that he could possibly be. And I wouldn't want to put any extra pressure on him, but to be himself, but to use every resource possible.
1: What when you looked at when you looked at the World Series or, or maybe the playoffs but probably just the World Series. Uh-huh. We all, this is one of the exercises we do, what can we take away from the teams that are playing in the World Series, particularly the team that win the World Series. When you're watching that, was there anything that jumped out throughout the postseason or the World Series that you say, oh you know what, that's interesting to me. Well, uh, besides besides oh, paying pay
2: yeah. a crap load of money for really, really good starting pitchers. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the starting pitching is what is what you want to start to build your organization around, and, and there's no doubt about it. There was some really, really good starting pitching. But, uh, you know, the one thing that I took away is that the Nationals had the it factor, the Nationals had that, that, that look in their eyes that they were never out of any game. So I think that to have some cohesiveness inside of the clubhouse, uh, to have high-character guys that are fearless and helping and sharing and giving information uh, and fearless with their approach to the game to go out and be the best version of themselves, uh, That those are the type of players that... That every organization wants they just seem to never ever feel like they weren't a group of guys going out there for one cause in one moment and i i was inside a world championship team in 2013 and it was the same thing that group was pushing and going every single day no matter what the circumstances were uh they were they were a band of brothers and i think that's really what it takes so that's not that doesn't take talent that that is character i think you know, championship teams have high character guys. They don't really care too much about the reputation. They care about one thing, and that's calling themselves a world champion. But you know, inside of the game, it's obviously the timely hitting, it's picking up a baseball, getting the outs the way you're supposed to, hitting with men in scoring position, two out hitting. It's a lot of little things that you talk about through the course of the year. But everything is totally magnified. I don't know why it happened that every road team won the game, and that's my, that's my final point. That these players are so good and they're so laser focused that they don't care where they're playing. They can play on the moon. They're going to give. Be their best efforts. but
1: you know that's it's a good point and when before you even mention it 2013 jumped to mind but this is the this is the the um dilemma when it comes to building a team you need talent but but you know you also need that so i don't know how much when you're working with the front office how much you say to to hazen and the guys hey you know what you know i I know that you're looking at this guy, but I've heard this about him, or, hey, we should prioritize this guy, even though the the, the metrics might not be exactly what you want. How much all of that factors in?
2: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a huge question. Um, and this is where I'm so thankful that Mike – hazen and i and, and jared porter ami al-sade and i have a really good relationship that i could say hey, i don't feel comfortable with that type of character coming into into our clubhouse can we please reassess or reevaluate and over the course of the past several years that's become a part of, of uh, their evaluation as well um and I'm not saying that there are some really bad guys out there, but there's some guys that just don't fit inside of inside of the walls of our clubhouse. We have a really strong culture. Our culture, um, you know, is pushing itself every single day. The, uh, you know, I put it on the players to, to continue to build that culture. I oversee it. They they understand the basic foundation uh, and beliefs that I have, uh, and they carry it out every single day. So once, once they walk it, they, they 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 are the ones that are carrying it on. And that's a huge thing. Um, you know, what does a clubhouse look like? How do these guys get along? Do they believe in one another? Because it's going to be tested throughout the course of a season. You're going to have some three, four, five-game losing streaks. That's when I want to see how these guys react and how they stay together. All right. does a very good job of that.
1: Red Sox-centric question. You were there when Mookie Betts was coming up. What yeah. what, is your, what is your favorite memory um, of the young Mookie Betts? in terms of uh, in terms of saying understanding that hey this guy is going to be something something different because and i know that he always had talent he succeeded in the uh, minor leagues but i think that you have obviously had a great perspective of it was there a moment an instance uh, a trait was there anything that said hey, this guy is going to be something that we aren't going to really see a whole lot of in major league baseball yeah um,
2: you know he, i remember he came up it was probably uh, might have been during the 14 season. I remember he had his first home run. Uh, you know, just a little guy, his pants were barely staying up over his waist, right? And we all know Mookie that way. And he, he flicked the ball over the green monster. And, and uh, it, it just, it was amazing for me to see that bat speed and the hand speed and the hand-eye coordination. But easily, easily, my favorite Mookie Bet story involved, he and Dustin Pedroia, um, we were down by a run, and Dylan Batonsis was in the game in the eighth inning, uh, and he was virtually unhittable for about two or three years for the Yanks. And, um, you know, Mookie Betts and Dustin were in the on-deck circle in Yankee Stadium. And um, um, I could hear the conversation because I was leaning over the rail and I was very close to it, and it sounded like Mookie had a little bit of doubt um, and, and what was about to happen because he was young and Del had this reputation of being very good at Dustin Fedora straightened him up and said, hey buddy, listen, if we are going to where we want to go, we need to learn how to beat guys like this. So tighten up, get your head on straight and let's go do our work. And five minutes later, Mookie Betts hit a two-run home run and put us up by a couple runs. That, to me, was somebody, an older player with experience, teaching Mookie Betts what was going on and how to have a mental approach. And Mookie went out there and executed
1: it. Did you talk to Mookie about it later?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's, yeah, of course, of course we have. I, I've probably been talking about it in five years, but, um, you know, when it happened, I was I, I, I was shaking my head thinking, I cannot believe what I just saw. This is a young understudy that's going to be an unbelievable player.
1: Hmm. All right, this is a time you get to, just like the old days, you get to ask me any question you want. Um, and please don't. So I, the last podcast we did was High in Bloom. He was excellent. Uh, but I, but when, when people don't have a good question, they default to what is the best restaurant. And yeah. as I told Higham, I'm like, I am the worst person ever to to ask, ask that question to. So, yeah. um, so just don't ask me what my favorite restaurant is.
2: What do yeah, you got? No, no, no. What is your big play when you walk in the clubhouse post-game? Are you the guy that goes right to the front and goes on the attack? Are you mid-pack or do you hang back? You have to define what
1: type of um, scenario: What type of player? Um,
2: yeah, I guess. I guess so. It depends on the player and who you're going to be well, going to talk right, to. Right. Because so, so if
1: a guy has a huge game, they're going to bring. They're going to make sure everyone talks to him at once.
2: Correct. Um, no, I'm not talking about that. That guy. I'm talking about because I saw you as a hangback guy. You were going to sit over there and talk to like um, Blake Swihart for a minute or two before you really went into. To go uh, go after Dustin Pedroia So is that still Is that still your style you yeah, so, Before you go in for the so, kill
1: So my thing even when you were the interim manager Like the press conferences Like yeah. unless you really Don't think that the question is going to be Asked like why are you going to Ask the question in front of everyone The question that you think is You know or you don't think that is going to have an Opportunity to be asked later Why ask that question so You answer it and then everybody has the same story. So yeah. I never got that. I never get that. And I think a lot of people just like to ask questions for the sake of say, you know, being identified and hearing their voice yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. But the other part about that is when you go in the clubhouse and you know, maybe like for in that case, yeah. Dustin Bedroy isn't available you've seen the clubhouse it's a sewing circle of media people a lot of times where yeah. you're just standing around they're just standing around waiting for the guy that everyone's going to talk to you never know you're wasting your time you never know if I, if i talk to Blake Swihart who knows i mean maybe there's something i'll get but there's a lot better chance of getting something than there would be if i didn't just just sat around and, and bitched about the
2: media like everybody else is doing. So I totally understand. So you're you're the observer, hangback guy. Pick your spot to climb in to ask the solo question.
1: Yeah, and and I think yeah. that it's funny, Tori, because I think that some players, particularly when they get to Boston, they don't yeah. fully understand the dynamic about it's okay to have conversations. With reporters, you're not going to have. It's not always going to be the case where if you're talking to a reporter, that it's going to be 50 reporters coming over. And so you're not taking that chance. Like, there are guys like that who have gotten more and more sheepish about that dynamic because, well, if I talk to you, then I'll t- talk to this person and I'll talk to that person. Um, so there's that balance. And a lot of times I'll be like, hey, listen, you know, I'll make, get them right before the exit of the club outs because then you know that they can just, you know, be on their way. Or I might just say, hey, you know what? I- I'm gonna let you go. I'm not even. It's not that
2: important. I'm gonna let you go. So, yeah. So, so you got some feel. I, I appreciate that. Well, All right, I-, I guess. And I guess the next question is. Um, and I- I'm sorry I didn't send you the video of my imitation. Of yeah, that running, was awful. But how, did- how did the um, How did the Boston Marathon go last yes. year?
1: Well, I I felt like I- when I ran past. So, in case the listeners don't know. Um, I'll tell, tell the story very quickly. Last time I ran in 2014, you were out uh, by let's see, it was uh, by uh, on Beacon my Marker 25. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was right before Kenmore Square, and yeah. and you you had gone out there and you would if tell me if I'm wrong, but you had said to somebody, it's like, I wonder where Bradford is." And somebody turned to you and said, "Oh, he, he just tweeted that he was by Boston College, not doing well, right? Am I, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> yes. Which was accurate." Uh, um, and then, uh, and then, so then I run by you and, and I evidently didn't see you because I was head down in, in a lot of pain and, uh, you found that remarkable. So remarkable. In fact, that to this day, I cannot have an interaction with uh, without you, with you, without you imitating how I was running that day. So, um, yes. So flash forward to this past year, when I went past that spot, I'm not lying to you, Tori. When I went past that spot, I was I was chest out, head up, uh, big strides, and uh, it was a it, it was a much better experience.
2: Oh, I love it. Well, I wish I could, have saw, I could have seen that one. That would have been good. Have been
1: yeah, good. well, you, if nothing else, once again, you motivate an athlete. So, there you uh, go. There you go. All right, well, I appreciate it.
0: Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every Plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with a push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy Simplified.